We've uh, been studying a series to seek and save the lost. You might be wondering what the magpie has to do with all of that. We've looked at a few different aspects of that so far. The first one was that most people don't have a correct view of God. The second being that the lost need to be unconditionally loved, as Jesus did. Last week, the lost won't come to us. We need to go to them. And the challenge this week is, are we strategic about reaching the lost? Do we have a strategy that will actually help us connect with those who don't know God and bring them closer to him? Are we intentional about that? Or is it just something that we leave to chance and hope that it might work out? Last week, many who were here were really stirred by the word of God and responded to a commitment to renew their passion for reaching out to those who don't know God. And there was quite a number who did that. And that was good. The word of God had touched your heart in that way. But my question to those who responded is, well, what's your intention? What's your strategy? Where to from here? It's good to hear the word of God, to open your heart to him, to respond to that. But where are you going with that? Where are you going with that? Maybe being strategic isn't something you've thought about in regards to your Christian life. I've said it before, I really believe that the Christian life is not a set and forget thing. That we can't respond as people did last week and then think, well, I've done that, that's all I need to do. Consider this, God had a strategy. Right from the moment that sin separated us from God, he had a plan in place. He didn't leave restoring the broken relationship to us. He didn't say, well... You guys messed this up. You guys see what you can do to fix it. He had a plan. And all the stories and the events of the Old Testament prove time and time again that we can't do it on our own, that we need a saviour. And the Old Testament strategically points to the coming of Jesus. Romans chapter 5, 6 says, When we were utterly helpless, when we couldn't do it on our own, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. That was God's strategic plan to reach out to the lost. Jesus was also also strategic. In Mark chapter 1 verse 35, the Bible says, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went to an isolated place to stay. Later, Simon and the others went to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, I must go to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. This is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Another time in Luke chapter 13, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, get away from here if you want to live. Herod wants to kill you. Jesus replied, go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And the third day, I will accomplish my purpose. Yes, today, tomorrow and the next day, I must proceed on my way. Paul had a strategy and we can read about that in Romans. 
He says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I had planned to visit you many times, but I was prevented up until now. In chapter 15, he says, I've been following the plan spoken in the scriptures, where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. Also in chapter 15, he says, I'm planning to go to Spain, and when I do, I will stop off in Rome. Sounds like a bit of a uh, holiday plan coming together, doesn't it? And after I've enjoyed your fellowship for a little while, you can provide for my journey. And in Galatians, Paul writes to us all, and he says, Let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get up. I don't give up. So, bringing the lost back to God into his presence is a strategic thing. It's more than just, I'll see who I bump into today. Though, of course, that can be a very uh, significant thing as well. So, my question to you is, what is your strategy? Have you thought about that? What is your intention to reach out to the lost and teach them more about God. As I was thinking about that, I think there's two aspects to that. One is that we need to have a plan of action that we can specifically do, even on a daily basis, that'll help us to be more intentional about reaching out to the lost. But I'm not going to explore that today. That's something that Pam will present to us next week. And she'll actually have some practical tips for us. No pressure, Pam. (laughs) She's sitting there looking. No, we we had talked about it. It's okay. It's okay. But there's another aspect of that as well where I think we need to be strategic. And this is where I want to focus on today. We need to be strategic and intentional about nurturing and developing the desire that God has put in our heart. So if you were someone who did respond last week to that renewed passion to reach the lost, how do you strategically nurture that passion? Because if that passion fades, then you're not going to want to be bothered to go out and do things through the day. I guess it's a little bit like um, if I have a desire to climb Mount Everest. Jane, I don't, so it's okay. (laughs) Jane also looking wide-eyed. It's the first I've heard about this. Now, I can put a strategy in place that will eventually help me to fulfill that but if I don't make plans eventually I don't only lose the opportunity to climb the mountain but I can lose the desire as well so I want to focus about keeping that desire alive and that can equally apply to our Christian life we can go through the motions and do the same old same old and never really get anywhere because we're not being strategic we're not wanting to go deeper we're not wanting to search more to understand God more And eventually the desire that God's put in our hearts to serve him in a certain way can fade. Now while that's applicable to any part of our Christian life, I especially want to challenge those who did make that commitment last last week and responded. How do you ensure that that stirring in your heart grows and stays there, that it hasn't begun to fade even in the past week? If we turn to Matthew 13... I think we can find some things that will give us further understanding. In Matthew 13, it's the parable of the sower, the man who went out 
scattering seeds. And typically we look at that passage and see it as being targeted to people who didn't know God and are hearing the gospel for the first time. But I think the lessons there are relevant for us all when we hear new things about the kingdom of God or where we're stirred in a new way to understand more about the kingdom of God. So today I want to consider that parable from the perspective of those of us who already know Jesus but have had some new understanding or revelation or calling stir within our hearts, such as was the case last week. But it mightn't be that stirring is about reaching out to save the lost. It could be that the stirring that God's put in our hearts is in regard to looking after the poor or the homeless or supporting single parents or spending time with the lonely or visiting the sick. There's lots of things that God plants in our heart, but we have to keep that seed alive. Let's have a look at the passage. It'll be on the screen. Matthew 13, verse 1. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. That in itself was probably a very strategic thing to do, wasn't it? Because soon a large crowd gathered around him and he got into a boat. There he sat and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath. And the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil. And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So let's explore those four different scenarios and see what we can learn from each about keeping that seed alive in our hearts. Later in that chapter, Jesus explains what the parable means. And in verses 18 and 19, he says, Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. A key word in this verse is understand. Hear the message but don't understand it. And in this context, the word understand actually means an understanding that is gained through the five senses. An understanding that's gained through the five senses. Which means we have to let the word of God, the seed that's planted in our hearts, grow through being a living experience of our daily life. If it doesn't become something that we live and we breathe and we touch and we taste and we smell and we hear, then it doesn't become part of who we are. It's got to become more than just head knowledge. It's got to grow in our heart. And if you look at the end of that passage that's on the screen now, the seed is not removed from our heart 
the seed is take, sorry, not removed from our mind, is taken away from our heart. So that seed that God plants can still be in our mind, but not in our heart. We can be in church and we can hear a message and say, yeah, that's right, I agree. We should be seeking the lost and helping to save them. We should be doing this. Yes, I support the church when they do that. I agree with that. But if it's kept as a concept in our mind and not brought into part of our life in a practical way, then it just remains on the surface, the surface of our heart. Now, the seed was stolen by the birds on the path because it remained on the surface. It couldn't go any deeper. It's vulnerable to theft. And we can make a sincere response. But if it stays on the surface of the soil, the surface of our heart, then it will not grow. The seed has to grow into the center of who we are and be in a position to change who we are. And we can picture the birds swooping down, just like the magpie swooping around amber and pecking up the seeds on the path. And the seeds have got nowhere to go and they're totally open and vulnerable. I want to just deviate briefly and go to a side point. And uh, as I was thinking through this and preparing, I really felt it was right to say this. Maybe there's somebody who needs to hear. It's all about magpies again. We have some local magpies in our front tree. And when they were nesting, they would swoop. Um, When we take our garbage bin up, we can't put it at the front of our house because we live in this tiny little roundabout and the garbage truck can't get in. We have to go about 30 metres down to where the road is straight. And that's where the houses near us put their garbage bins. So when we go and put the bin down the road, um, it was either a hat or an umbrella or something. You're sort of looking around for where the evil birds are. But since they're finished nesting and the baby's out and about squawking, they're quite cute and playful. And we've been giving them little bits of food from time to time, just supplementary feeding. But we find now the magpies will come right to the front door. Or when Jane came home the other day, before she'd pulled up in the car in the driveway, they were all around the car, wanting something to eat. They followed her into the back door. Um, We can be down in the backyard watering the plants or doing something, and uh, all of a sudden the magpies are there as well. And we give them a little bit of food from time to time. But do you know, next year when they're nesting again, they're going to be swooping us again. You cannot make friends with the enemy. You cannot make friends with the enemy. Anything in your life that is designed to steal the seed that God is planting, you can't make friends with it. As I was thinking through this, I don't know whether it's that someone is involved with um, the occult, um, seances, Ouija boards, those things that can come across as harmless fun, but you're trying to make friends with something that is designed to steal that seed from God from you. You can't make friends with the enemy. In the second scenario, let's have a look at the explanation. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Believing God's word causes us problems in our life. There's the proof. We don't think of that very often, but 
taking in God's word, accepting the seed that he's planting in our hearts and wanting it to grow deep in our hearts can cause problems. You might think, all I did was listen to God and responded as he was calling me and now I've got all these problems. But God is proving the authenticity of his word, that it stands against all else. He's positioning you for battle. You know, in the Old Testament, when the Israelites turned to God, and they were up and down like yo-yos, but when they turned to God, many times he would then lead them into battle. And you would think, well, God, what's all this about? You know, we're trusting you, we're believing in you, we have faith in you, we're worshipping you, and we're heading out to battle? Simply because God wants the enemies defeated. That's why problems can come our way. And he wants those who believe in him to know the power of the word in their lives. That doesn't happen from living on easy street. So we can expect that there will be challenges. If we're committed to reaching the lost, if that seed's been planted in you, there'll be times when it's inconvenient or uncomfortable. Hand up those who are out doing street safe salvos last night. Are you tired? <laughs> yes. It's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. You're responding to the word of God. And in a way, it's making life a bit more difficult for you. It disrupts the weekend. But if they abandon it because it's a bit too tough or they're a bit too tired, then that seed planted in their heart will wither in the heat of the sun. But let's not put all of our eggs in one basket. The Street Safe Salvos program is one thing we can do to reach the lost. Just one thing. Maybe the inconvenient or the uncomfortable thing for you is actually having a conversation with someone. Maybe you're a person who's a little bit shy. God's made us all different for different reasons. And you'd rather leave the talking to somebody else. Well, maybe God's prompting you to nurture that seed, let it grow a little bit deeper into your heart, and being brave enough to just go and have a conversation with someone. Now maybe at the carols, it's while you're, you're face painting with a young child. You can ask that child, do they know about Jesus? There's lots of things that we can do to uh, spread that word of God. Be it uncomfortable. The third scenario, the parable of the sower, verse 22. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. This is a very self-centered seed. Life is all about me. I'll get out of it what I can. I'll respond if it feels good. Um, I'll do something for God if it fits my schedule. But I won't take things too far because I've got a future to consider. In a way, I think that's a bit like the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. In the book of Jonah, the first verse says, The Lord spoke to Jonah. So he heard the message. He heard from God. But we know the story. He decided not to go to the big city of Nineveh, where there are a lot of people living in sin, and preach the word of God to them as God asked. He thought, I'll board a ship and go the opposite direction and report his detection. While he was on the boat, a storm came up. 
And the Bible tells us that he was asleep down below. Again, a very self-centered thing to do. If you're on a sailing ship in a storm, it's all hands on deck, whether you're a paying passenger or not, trying to do what you can to help the boat survive. So very self-centered. Firstly, saying, God, not interested, I'll do my own thing. Secondly, those around me on the ship are suffering and in danger. Well, I'm tired, I'm going to have a rest. Someone else can sort that out. The captain went down and woke Jonah up. And we know how the story goes. He was eventually thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, spent a few days thinking about things before he eventually ended up on the shore and going back to Nineveh as he was told. But I don't know whether you realise how the story ends. Jonah preached to that 120,000 people in Nineveh that the Lord was going to destroy this city because of your wickedness. And he then retreated to watch the action. I don't know whether he was expecting a meteorite to hit the city or earthquake, or volcano, or tsunami, or a combination of all of the above. But he was ready to watch. But the people repented. They actually turned to God, which is what God wanted. And Jonah, again, being self-centered, thought, well, that's not fair, God. I've been through all of this, and I've finally done what you wanted me to do, preach to these people, and you're changing your mind. How unfair is that? And he was having a bit of a pity party about that. And the story of Jonah finishes with Jonah sitting on a hill overlooking the city and it's blazing hot, burning hot. And God causes a big plant to grow and give him shade. And he's grateful for that. And then a worm comes and eats the plant and the plant dies. And he's sad because this plant is dead and it can't do what it should. And God says, well, you're sad because this plant died What about this 120,000 people who have just been saved? And that's how the book of Jonah finishes. So you have someone who is incredibly self-centered. That the cares and the worries of the world, the things that they are most involved with and most concerned for, choke out what they should be doing. And I believe if we're going to be truly strategic for God and offer ourselves his purpose... We need to heed the lessons from Jonah and remove from the equation all of our own thoughts and desires and expectations of how God should work and what God should do. The fourth scenario, verse 23. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60 or even 100 times as much as had been planted. This is the simple strategy to making sure that seed, that desire, that stirring in our hearts grows. And that is to truly hear God. You know, trying to have a conversation with someone who's half listening. They're doing something else at the same time. Or they're thinking of something else. Or they're trying to get something ready or whatever the case may be. I'm sure we all do it both ways. But to actually have someone sit down and say, right, tell me what it is you wanted to say, you know, and give undivided attention is fantastic. And that's what we need to do with God. And say, God, oh God, I'm just shutting out all the distractions of the world. I'm feeling called to seek and save the lost or whatever it might be. I'm going to sit down, quiet moment, nothing else to distract. God, it's you and me. What is it that you want to say? What is it that you want me to hear? 
to truly hear, to truly listen. That verse says, to truly hear and understand. Understanding again, being understanding with the five senses. It becomes part of our daily experience. Each day, God, I want to listen to you without being interrupted and I want to experience what you're saying to me. I want it to be part of my life. It's simple. There's a strategy to keep that seed growing, to take it from our mind and let it grow deep in our heart where the enemy can't come and reach it. In Psalm 119, there's a verse that says, I've hidden your word deep in my heart so that I may not sin against you. And that's where we need that seed of God deep in our hearts. I'll get the band to come up and I want to finish with a story as uh, the band are getting organised. This is a true story. Um, There's a colleague of mine uh, who lives in Sydney. He and his wife have been married for 11 years and lived in seven houses in that time. But that's part of a strategy that they have. Because they buy an old house, they renovate it, wait till its value increases and sell it and move on and do the same again. Sometimes they'll even knock down and rebuild to increase the value of that house and sell it. But their last project was the most ambitious one yet. It was a knockdown and a rebuild. They first chose a good location. It had water views. Now, albeit the Parramatta River at Concord, but um, still it was water. But they decided they wanted to maximise the return on this house. And they spent months researching and planning with a specific buyer target in mind. They didn't want a house that a wealthy business person would even afford to buy. And in his own words, they wanted a house that would be bought by a cashed-up Chinese person. They wanted to make sure the feng shui in the house, the good energy, was exactly right. I know it's not quite my thing and probably not yours either, but this was all to do with the target buyer that they had in mind. So they studied up on that. They had a path leading up to the front that had brakes to stop the bad energy going up the path. It had bends in it. They had steps leading up to the front so that the bad energy couldn't get in the house. They had mirrors just inside the front door to reflect the bad energy back out. And they'd studied all of this. They don't believe this, but they knew their buyers did. This is part of their strategy. They put a lap pool at the side. They had five large bedrooms so that the buyer could have the family come and stay. They had a large kitchen, so big family meals could be prepared. It had a six-metre-long kitchen bench. That's huge. The house had all the latest electronic gadgets because the buyers liked their gadgets and their push buttons and bits and pieces. There was a balcony off the master suite with stunning water views of the Parramatta River at Concord. The gardens they planned and planted had the right plants. They had the plants. They had the right colours in them. They had the right arrangement, the right feel. But they also studied what is the best time in Sydney to sell a house in auction by looking at trends over the past years. And on the weekend they chose to sell that place, over 90% of the properties that went under the hammer across Sydney sold. 
They hoped to make 25% above their costs. They made 50% above their costs. Just a month later, only 60% of the houses in auction sold. If they'd sold it then, they would have had a few hundred thousand dollars less. Someone who can put all that planning and strategy and energy into place for a house to make some extra dollars is very clever. But in a way, as a Christian, I feel it puts me to shame. Not that I want to do that. But in terms of, am I putting that thought and that effort and that planning and that time and energy and problem solving into reaching out to the lost? I found that challenging. But what about you? Do you find that challenging? What is it that your strategies in life are working to achieve? Are you trying to achieve maximum potential for your pockets or for your lifestyle or maximum investment in the kingdom of God? That's where we need to be putting our time and effort and strategy. Do you know, strategies work best when they're made definite plans. We can have these wonderful ideas, but until we sit down, write them, journal them, work out what it is we're going to do, what are our next steps, they really don't take much effect. And I want to challenge you this week to find that quiet time, that time just between you and God, where you're not going to be interrupted, where you can hear what God is saying to you, And just journal, Lord, what is it that's the seed you've planted in my heart? What strategy will I use to deepen it in my heart so it doesn't get stolen by the the enemy? How do you want me to grow and to learn, to reach and to save the lost? Wouldn't it be a shame if time down the track... We're standing before God in the kingdom with a big bank balance, having lived a comfortable life, having worked to advance our career. But God says, what have you done to advance the kingdom? What time, what effort, what energy have you put into that? They're the things that last. They're the things that really count. And we need to listen to the words of God to be strategic and see that we're doing all we can to reach out, seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Father, I pray that in this stillness, that you will bring to mind the seed that you want to plant in our hearts. Jesus, forgive us if we've left that seed lying on the surface where it's vulnerable to theft. Lord, forgive us if we've been ones who have watched that little seed grow a little bit but have been too self-centered in our lives. 
Father, challenge us anew to take hold of that seed, to allow it to grow into our hearts, where it can become part of who we are, where it can control and guide our lives. Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit will be the gardener, that he will water and tend the plants growing within. Father, help us to listen and to understand and to invest in the kingdom. Amen.